The gospel reading for today will serve as the sermon text. The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the 11th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, What are you doing, untying that colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. So, Happy New Year. Today marks the beginning of another 12-month journey through the Scriptures, growing in our faith, learning to follow Jesus. And I've always loved the fact that the church's calendar is about a whole month out of step with the world's calendar. Because it reminds us that while we are in this world, we are not of this world. Now, in this world, there's a man named Stephen Covey who wrote a self-help book years ago entitled uh, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, declaring that one of those habits is to always begin with the end in mind. Sort of common sense, don't you think? If you don't know where you're going, you'll never know whether or not you have arrived. The season of Advent, then, is the first month of our new church year, and it begins today with the end in mind. Under the theme, Season of Promise, we begin today at the end by zooming in on the last week of Jesus' life with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And then in weeks two and three, we're going to zoom out just a little bit to the beginning of Jesus' public ministry and the preaching of John the Baptist until we arrive at the last week of Advent, which falls on Christmas Eve this year. And we witness the beginning of Jesus' earthly presence when an angel announces his arrival to a young woman from Nazareth named Mary. Today... Jesus arrives in our lives to be crowned king on the cross. Today, Jesus arrives in our lives to be crowned our king on a cross. 
So let's begin today with the end in mind. Let me talk to you first about how Jesus arrives, then why exactly does he arrive, and then wrap it up with what difference does his arrival make in our lives. Well, let's look. How does Jesus arrive? The gospel reading for this morning falls into the middle of the account of Jesus' life written down by a man named Mark, which requires us to do some background work if we're going to be able to grasp what Mark was trying to say to his first readers. Now, many of you may know this, but tradition tells us that Mark was a close associate of one of the inner ring of Jesus' disciples, namely Peter, of Peter, James, and John fame. So that it's actually not a stretch to think of Mark's account as the gospel according to Peter. Now, Mark's first readers were the followers of Jesus in the city of Rome, somewhere between 60 and 70 A.D. That's 30 years after the actual events of Jesus' life. Prior to Mark's writing these words down, Peter would have been telling the stories of Jesus in person. At this time in the Roman Empire, Nero was the empire, was the emperor. And at the beginning of his reign, he simply ignored these little clusters of Jesus, followers that were scattered around in Rome. But then all of that changed radically in the year 64 AD when a devastating fire ravaged 10 of the 14 wards of the city of Rome. And rumors spread that Nero had actually ordered the fire to be set. And as is still common in politics today, he needed a scapegoat in order to divert attention from himself. And so the blame for this devastating fire was placed squarely on the Christian community. Nero, you see, introduced the church to martyrdom. That is, dying for your faith which probably included the lives of Peter and Paul. Now, Mark wrote this account of Jesus' life to proclaim the faith in that context of the suffering and the very real threat of death. These early believers hiding in the underground burial changers of the city of Rome called the catacombs, living in fear of betrayal by their friends, facing death in the arena. Mark shows his first readers that Jesus also was driven out into the wilderness where he faced the wild beast, a detail that only Mark records and that Jesus was betrayed and abandoned by his closest friends and that Jesus faced death at the hands of the Roman authorities. In other words, Jesus fully understood their experiences and he was with them through it all. Now, what's fascinating is that in Mark's telling of the story, Jesus' actions are oftentimes hidden. That is, they are hard to see without the eyes of faith that allow you to be able to peer through the events 
that he describes in order to get a full picture, first, of how Jesus arrives in our lives. So our text begins with Jesus' arrival being completely orchestrated by Jesus himself. He's in control of the entire scene, but yet almost, although not entirely, hidden from most observers. Now, not being first century Jews, I fear that we are mostly ignorant of the celebration of the Feast of Passover which is what brought Jesus and his disciples to Jerusalem that day. Passover, if you have forgotten or have never known, was the annual remembrance of God's mighty act of rescue from 400 years of slavery in Egypt of the descendants of Abraham. And at the peak of that story, a lamb was slain and its blood was sped around the doors of their houses so that the angel of death passed over them but brought fear and despair to Pharaoh who finally set them free. So that now every year, thousands of Jews from all over the civilized world made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And we know that the population of the city swelled to many times its normal capacity. That the pilgrims actually camped out on the Mount of Olives opposite the Temple Mount along the road leading into the city and that they then paraded into the city in order to worship at the temple. Now, Jesus' entry into the city is hidden away. It's part of that scene. And Mark tells it in a way that very, very nearly hides Jesus from view. Nearly, I say, but not completely, because you see, Mark's first readers, Mark's first readers knew what it all meant. As they hid in their catacombs in fear, Jesus' arrival meant their hope and their courage and their ultimate victory. So how does Jesus arrive? Jesus arrives humbly, almost unnoticed by the world. And here we are in the 21st century. We're entering into Advent, a season of promise, the promise of Jesus' arrival. And we do so surrounded by Christmas decorations and 24-hour Christmas music playing on the radio and, of course, the ubiquitous advertising that's necessary in order to drive up retail sales in order to support our economy for another year. And Jesus' arrival will go mostly unnoticed by the world. But not so here. The Holy Spirit comes again this morning to give us all of the clues that we need to awaken our hearts to the power of life in Christ. This detailed description of the disciples being sent to fetch a donkey is absolutely loaded with Old Testament significance that pulls back the veil for us to see exactly why 
Jesus had arrived. Even though Mark doesn't quote the Old Testament prophet Zechariah, Zechariah is standing there in the background begging to be heard. In chapter 9, verse 9 of his prophecy, Zechariah had written, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey, some seven centuries before Jesus in our text. See, Jesus with deliberate intent rides into Jerusalem, which is the city chosen by God to dwell in the midst of his people. And in Mark's account, Jesus goes up to the temple And there he surveys the frenetic chaos of the Passover celebration whose commercial enterprise of buying and selling would rival our Black Friday sales (laughs) and the month that follows. And then Jesus leaves. He just walks out of the temple and he goes back to spend the night on the other side of the Mount of Olives in the village of Bethany. But people, it is the calm before the storm. Why does Jesus arrive? The king comes to bring salvation. And even that salvation will be hidden behind a gruesome death on a cross. Jesus arrives in our lives to be be crowned king on the cross. Because hidden in his death is our Passover, our rescue from slavery to sin, our restoration to the full face-to-face presence of God for which we were created. In the celebration of the Passover meal with his disciples on the night when he was betrayed, Jesus took bread and he broke it, and then he took the wine and he blessed it, and he gave it to the disciples and he said, take, eat, this is my body, and take, drink, this is my blood. And in so doing, he declared his real presence with us, hidden, hidden under ordinary bread and wine. And the church for centuries has picked up the chant of the crowd in our text whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Look, many in the crowd that day were oblivious to the presence of their king. They wanted a messianic king, but not the kind of king that Jesus came to be. Not a suffering, not a dying king. They wanted a warrior king who would drive the Romans out and reestablish their nation to the greatness and the glory days of King David. Jesus arrives in our lives to be crowned our king on the cross. And sometimes... 
We fall into the ditch on one side of the road like the people of Jerusalem wanting a political solution to the mess that we are in, chanting Hosanna, imagining that if we could just elect the right leaders, we could then force people to behave better. Or falling off on the other side of the, the road like those first recipients of Mark's Gospels just hiding away in our caves hoping that we might escape unnoticed. We live on the other side of the cross and the resurrection and we celebrate Jesus' arrival this Advent with the end in mind. Why did Jesus arrive? Jesus arrived to make you and to make me dearly loved, forgiven, bound for eternity in the new heaven and the new earth, sons and daughters of the one and only true triune God who is driving all human history to its grand and glorious, although a bit frightening, conclusion when Jesus comes again. What difference then? What difference does Jesus' arrival as our king on the cross make? Well, it makes all the difference in the world. King Jesus seeks to extend his rule and his reign on earth as it is in heaven, here and now, through every attitude, through every word, through every action of my, of your, of our awakened hearts. Jesus entered into Jerusalem and he found lots of religious activity. Jesus arrives here again this morning, hidden away in the words of this sermon and in our worship. And St. Luke's is a very busy place. There is lots and lots to do, lots of coming and going, especially this time of year. Midweek Advent services, the concert series, the Christmas craft fair, a night in Bethlehem. But listen, Jesus arrives to be crowned king on the cross for more than just religious busyness. Jonathan Edwards was a powerful Puritan preacher who in 1738 preached a sermon that was entitled The Excellency of Christ. And in that sermon, he described the diverse excellencies in the character of Jesus that is unmatched in any other human being. Edwards offers this summation of the character of Jesus. There do meet in Christ infinite highness, infinite accessibility, infinite justice, yet infinite grace, infinite glory, yet infinite humility, infinite majesty, and yet infinite transcendent meekness, absolute sovereignty, yet perfect submission, Infinite all-sufficiency in himself, yet entire trust and dependence on God. My friends, when Jesus arrives and is crowned king, 
of your life on the cross. His character begins to more and more shape your character. Boldness and humility. Majesty and meekness. Power and weakness begin to manifest themselves in the way that you interact with your family, your friends, your co-workers, and your neighbors. When Jesus arrives as our king on the cross, he transforms our character. If you're an anxious person, people around you will start to notice more and more of the peace that passes all human understanding. If you're an angry person, your words and your body language will begin to soften. If you're a fearful person or a self-centered person or a self-hating person or a self-aggrandizing person, people around you will start to recognize a radical renewal in your character. When Jesus arrives and is crowned king of your life on the cross, if you tend to be assertive but not very sensitive, or you tend to be too sensitive and not very assertive, Whatever part of your character that is droopy, that is weak, will be strengthened by his presence in your life to become a more balanced person. You'll be able to move back and forth. If you tend to be too outspoken, you'll start to see when to hold back. If you tend to hold back, slow to respond, you'll start to see when you should be more bold. People, Jesus arrives in your life to be crowned king on the cross. He arrives humbly. Don't be afraid. He brings salvation. Rejoice. His arrival changes everything. Amen. The weekly awakening question for this week as we enter into this season of Advent is simply this. Are you ready for a season of promise? And what does that look like for you? Are you ready for a season of promise? And what might that look like for you?